Welcome to Clocking In, Forces of NC Manufacturing. I'm your host, Phil Mintz, Director of the North Carolina Manufacturing Extension Partnership, otherwise known as NCMEP. My role is to drive outreach to NC manufacturers, build relationships to federal and state leaders, and coordinate efforts to drive profitable manufacturing growth in North Carolina. Throughout my time working closely with manufacturers, I have heard the most quirky, curious, and memorable stories. I wanted to turn these stories into a podcast so that others may hear and be informed and inspired. From humble beginnings to manufacturing titans, from tragedy to triumph, I will be interviewing some of these manufacturers who have made North Carolina manufacturing the powerhouse that it is today. The pandemic continues to provide different challenges and opportunities for manufacturers. It's been amazing to see how a virus that sent many people into their homes for separation has in many ways led to increased demands for some goods and new demand for others. Custom Contract Furnishings is a furniture manufacturer located in High Point, North Carolina. Established in 1989, the organization makes high quality upholstered seating for the hospitality, healthcare, and senior living industries. Custom Contract Furnishings has been featured in national publications such as Network of Executive Women in Hospitality Magazine, Hospitality Design Magazine, Boutique Design Magazine. The company has also been very active in the market for personal protective equipment, otherwise known as PPE, as it has used its expertise to establish production and was called for back in the spring of last year as we saw our domestic supplies of PPE dwindling. Today, we're clocking in with the Vice President of Custom Contract Furnishings, Chris Morris. Chris has been on the front lines of all the demand and the challenges brought on by the pandemic and will be speaking to us some today about how his company has dealt with all of these, let's say, opportunities. Chris, thank you for taking time to speak with us. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. Great. So maybe this has the same answer, but could you talk some about how did you get into the furniture business and end up landing in High Point, North Carolina? Well, I grew up in I grew up in uh, Greensboro, which is next to High Point. So personally, I grew up in the furniture industry. My my entire family's wrapped up in it, whether residential, I'm the uh, residential marketing, and the residential actually manufacturing, sampling, so on. But I ventured into the contract world, contract furniture world, back in '91 when I got out of college. Okay, where'd you go to college? Uh, actually, I went to Guilford Technical Community College uh-huh. and then transferred over to UNCG. Okay. All right. All right. And so you've kind of been in sales and marketing? My entire life. Yep. I yeah. actually worked in from the, was an aspiring triathlete that I had to uh, make a very, uh, uh, changes in college to get into the, the real world of work and <laughs> yeah. with a, a furniture, office furniture company. Okay. And yeah, that transition is not a lot of fun, I guess. No. <laughs> College is so Yeah. So. so, Chris, we see the business listed as a furniture manufacturer, and you reside in what is some call the furniture capital of the world at High Point. So what is it that you make there at Custom Contract Furnishing? Actually, what the contract, Custom Contract Furnishings, we actually do upholstery. It's primarily, I do private label for healthcare manufacturers, other manufacturers, of healthcare upholstery, as well as we do hospitality custom furniture for hotels and resorts, more mid to upper end level uh, furniture. 
I know that many decided since they were at home for the pandemic, it would be a good time to buy some furniture, but I don't think all furniture demand is created equally. So how is that business you have fared during the pandemic? And is there a reason to maybe do some other things? Right. And the, well, back in March, it got a little bit scary because the, with, with, we've had orders, we had about three or four months worth of backlog and they, they all dried up almost immediately because a lot of the a lot of the hotels, when they not only they closed, they lost business, but as they were actually in the process of building or renovating, all of their funding stopped. We've got orders that are actually that were due this year that we're still holding onto the frames and onto the foam, waiting for them to restart. But in the midst of it, the residential as the as the contract side dropped, the residential side exploded. So our residential division, Whitewood Industries, you know, they're going two shifts, five, six days a week, as fast as they can go. And when one door kind of closed, one door is open for us because it's allowed us to actually pivot on the upholstery side and start manufacturing residential upholstery. And that's that's looking very promising. Yeah, you know, we, we got a lot of, again, I guess, you know, manufacturing heads that maybe listen to this, so maybe we can dig into the weeds of it. You know, we were talking the other week about, you know, some of the challenges with supply chain and furniture making, and you spoke about kind of the difficulties in the foam area. Can you talk about that a little bit and, and how that's kind of can disrupt things? Yeah, it's been a nightmare, <laughs> to say the least. Well, it's actually, it's not just the foam. It's, I mean, the foam industry, it was already, I believe it was, and anybody that's fact checked me, don't don't completely fact check me, but I know it was run. I believe it was running around 126% uh, capacity, meaning that like our our vendors were cut down to 75% or 25. They were cut down 25% of their allotments, so they could only supply us with so much foam, and that was all the way up till January, and then that was due to the the influx of all the residential sofas, people wanting new sofas for the homes, chairs, and so on. So we already had that going against us. And then when the storms hit Dallas back in uh, February, the supply chain stopped. So we had issues with the chemicals that make up the foam. They all come from Dallas, Louisiana, some out of Mexico, but the primary places where the chemicals come from, they shut down. They're actually, this is first week in April. And what I understand last week was the bottom of the bottom. I've got manufacturers that are just opening up and they're still, they can only get one or two loaves of foam a week. So with that, and then you add on with the plywood and a lot of our frames are made, they're made out of plywood and the plywood has gone up 130 plus percent. So we've now we're running into that. I have frames that would have normally cost me $65 for my, for my vendors are now cost me 88 to $110 for the same piece. So everything that the perfect storms hit with the f- supply chains. So what are, are they telling you that the majority of this is short term? What about the plywood part? Is that, is that gonna, do they see any relief in sight? I mean, are you gonna have to drive up your prices? No, we're gonna have to. Uh, what we're trying to do right now is that actually kind of add a surcharge on, because we're, we're trying, we, I, my personal thing, it's unfair. We're still trying to stay competitive with Asia, so. If I have a frame that's that would cost me $75 and now it's cost me 95, I'm just passing off the just the difference to the customer without doing a markup, without putting that in the bill of materials. What has been told to us is that the phone prices, we just got another 8% price hike just this past week. 
I don't see the foam coming down anytime soon. The plywood, I keep hearing the summertime, but it makes it difficult because we're like, as we launch, we're launching the new residential division with the pre-markets coming up in a couple of weeks and where people are wanting to buy a $500 sofa or $450 sofa, it's going to be more $525 to $550 sofa. I've got to pass on the cost. And now I don't, is, is that going to affect the, the consumer at the, the retailer and the consumer? I don't know. That's an unknown right now. Yeah. We don't want to pay less. That's for sure. We've we're used to prices going down, <laughs> not up. That's exactly right. <laughs> so, yeah. so, you know, your company has responded to the needs of the pandemic in a pretty significant way we're hearing. So talk about what you've done to address the call for PPE. Well, back in March, as I was mentioning earlier, we almost came to a complete halt. Uh, not not because we we had a decent backlog, but our vendors were all shutting down. When the government did the stay-at-home order, we couldn't get foam, we couldn't get our fabrics, we couldn't get, you know, it was just a chain of events. So we did a uh, uh, basically a temporary layoff of our factory. And a lot of my workers, they, nobody wanted to go. Right? So they, you know, we're trying to keep them busy. And then I was also at that time, it was so unknown. So we started, we, we jumped into it, helping uh, make masks for the, the uh, uh, group up in Hickory. And so we were, we were making masks, which a lot more difficult than I thought that they were going to be. Uh, <laughs> those little pleats were very hard to make. So as we started, we've, we've got a large sewing room and a cutting room. And so I started looking at the, uh, the gowns and I was asked to bid on a few gowns didn't think they were going to be as big as they, they ended up coming in, but we ended up, our first big order came in. It was with the state of Connecticut it was like 250,000 gowns. And so we went from six sewers to realizing that we've got to hire a lot of people. So we went from six sewers, no folders. Uh, we went from six sewers up to 25. We had 25 folders and we had uh, basically, we had roughly two, two folders per sewer. So we, we ramped up really quick and we actually, it was, it was, it was like the NFL combines. We were doing tryouts for folders and we're doing tryouts for, for sewers and we had to gear up within 30 days. And then it just, it snowballed from there. We, um, we started in early May making gowns. And then as of today, we're still making gowns for the DLA. Mm. So was, was it easy to get that sewers? I mean, is that something that's in good supply i mean i know that workforce is a tough thing in general but uh, do you um, see you guys have some specialty needs there in some <laughs> cases don't you yeah i tend to kind of simplify it but uh, i i was blessed in a lot of ways we 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 had it's that one door closes the garage door opens we had a one of my uh, friends up the street debbie jones with uh, french laundry soon as i got the contract where i was about to get the contract for this the, the Connecticut order, they had, they had announced in High Point that the closing of the market in High Point, Atlanta, and another, the Dallas market. So she found herself, her sewing room basically being shut down. Oh, wow. So at that time, it, it was just the stars were aligned because I wouldn't have been able to do it if it weren't for Debbie. And we had, we had a good, we've got a sewing group here, but then Debbie had another eight sewers. And then we put the word out in, into the community and it just, it spread like wildfire. So yeah. we, we were, um, at that time, it was a lot easier to get sewers just because so many people were shut down. Now, ask me that today, it's a little bit harder to find sewers because- Yeah, I was gonna say, okay, all right, now we're fast forwarding to the future here and and you got the 
furniture business ramping up on the residential side. Plus, you're starting to take off more in the PPE. You know, is that, I mean, do we need to be staffing more now? Yeah, um, the furniture side, yeah, it's, it's gotten now, it's gotten really competitive because now I've got my, uh, in the furniture world, I've got competitors that are actually paying signing bonuses, paying referral bonuses, and so, and then paying premium for sewers because they're trying to get, they, they need sewers. So, so it's, it's getting competitive. Now, my group that, that Debbie's group that we grew together, we're still a very tight knit community. So nobody's, nobody's bailed. Uh, but we also, we did it the right way. When we started out, my belief is I, I never wanted to make it, I hate using this term, but like a sweatshop type of world. I didn't want something where you're sitting there and you're, people are walking around and demanding more and more and more without rewarding. So what we ended up doing is paying a piece rates. It was wonderful seeing so many people getting new cars in the middle of the pandemic because right. they were making money, you know? So it was, yeah. it was really a neat thing to see. But now fast forwarding it, the demand of the PPE is starting to, to go away. So, right. you know, the competitiveness where we were, we were sewing uh, spun lace gowns, level two spun lace, level one, level two spun lace. That need is there's this need still out there, but it's very, we can't compete. Basically federal government's not giving the money to the States or to the hospitals. So the demand now that the hospitals in the States are now referring back to Asia and yeah. uh, in Europe. So we can have a whole nother podcast discussion about that. I'm sure <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a whole nother one, but yeah, with, with our side, we are, we're, we're seeing that, but we do have some promise because as, as I mentioned to you, uh, our earlier, earlier conversation, we invented a machine to basically be able to, to stamp and weld uh, poly gowns and, that looks like that's still going forward, even though the government hasn't issued any new POs, but there's, we created a new business out of this with that. We're seeing some promise. Yeah. So I guess, you know, again, going back to that, I guess we're, we're always hopeful that we would be able to take on the, the PPE market long-term, but I guess, in, you, you know, you still some things you need to see on your side to make it really a big part of your ongoing strategy, huh? Yeah, because I mean, we, you know, it, it started changing probably in the fall and we already had contracts, but, you know, during the beginning of the pandemic in the middle of the summer, you could throw a dart and people were needing us to get, getting orders left and right. And, and a lot of it had to do that, that, that not only the unknown of the pandemic and what the needs were, the hospital needs and so on, but also just the, the national stockpile. But as it's as it's now progressed and the world's opening back up, we started seeing that shift probably in October, November. We were still hopeful that we we would be able to compete and be able to offer PPE because we were getting our FDA uh, accreditations and so on, um, and investing in new equipment with the promise of we we created a brand new company and we didn't want to let these people go. So, but unfortunately, it's, it's hard to invest if you don't have a longevity in the future if you don't have anything in the future. Yeah. 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 Well, it sounds like the furniture business is still going to be a pretty good business for you going forward, especially as you roll into the home market, but uh, you're pretty good size operation there already, right? Well, how many people do you carry normally? The entire company is about 300 employees. Uh, my division here, not counting the PP sewing division, it's around 40 people, 40 employees. 
And then we've got, uh, still we've got, like I said, we have 25 employees, 25, actually 30 sewers. And then got right now we're roughly about 30 folders. Yeah. So would it be fair to say that kind of your division there is kind of, uh, I guess, you know, experimental place or you do different kinds of things as needed or uh, is that how, 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 how does the custom contract furnishings piece match, you know, fold into the larger group? Uh, well, the because we do custom furniture, we were used to kind of pivoting. We were a little bit more nimble yeah. and just with my background and our background in manufacturing with our gown business, it was it was actually an easy fit because. It's a pattern, it's fabric, it's sewing. It's basically it's very similar to what we were doing in upholstery, just without a frame and without the foam, without the springs. But I mean, I'm simplifying it because we did have to make a lot of changes and we had to implement a lot of uh, lean manufacturing production into it to get the price points down. But yeah, it, as far as the, we're not, I wouldn't say we're the experimental, we're just, I'm just used to my background and, and the way we work, I'm used to making fast pivoting changes. Oh, wow. Great. We, have, we have to, in the contract world, you have to manufacture it, design it, engineer it, sample it, and then go into manufacturing within 12 weeks. Yeah. So we have, we, I was, I'm used to doing that fast pace. Good. So. Well, sounds very exciting. And again, you know, I know that there's a lot of people out there early in the year was very happy to get the gowns and the masks that you guys were able to quickly pivot and make. And, and I know for you as a business, you're trying to figure out, you know, how that makes sense long term. So, you know, we're hoping that all works out for you. And we really appreciate the time you give us today to talk a little bit about it. Again, we've had a couple of conversations over the last couple of weeks and you, you have a lot of excitement going on there. and a lot of opportunities. And so we're, we're sure hoping that things work out. Yeah, I've got a lot of promise. I mean, I've got a lot of hope and that some things are going to fall in line. I mean, I, we're hoping that, as we mentioned, as you and I mentioned in the conversations earlier, that everybody was wanting, needing PPE. We realized that there was no U.S. manufacturers. I'm hoping that some of our state legislation and in the in our federal will realize that hey, we need to prop up companies that pivoted yeah. and support them and try to keep them in place because you know my fear is, and I'm seeing this a lot with the people I've met other manufacturers that they're all closing up shop and going back to what they used to do. Yeah. It's, you know, and we're going to find ourselves and hopefully we won't have another pandemic like this, but if it, if something does happen, you're, we're going to find ourselves right back in the same position with no U S manufacturers. Yeah. A little concerning, but uh, again, that's the message that, you know, we want to take back and, and again, as uh, you know, we're, we're connected to our national program, MEP and of course with state and, you know, you know we want to hear what you say. And, uh, and I think it's important to understand that, you know, there are people like you that are ready to, to take on that market, but you know, it's, you know, there's going to need to be some, uh, a team effort. Let's put it that way. How about that? Yep. Yep. The good old American way. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Chris, thanks again for joining us today. And, and oh, you thank know, you. we look forward to an opportunity to come by and see what you guys make. Oh, you're welcome anytime. Yeah. All right. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining today's Clocking In, Voices of NC Manufacturing. This podcast is brought to you by NC State's College of Engineering, the North Carolina Manufacturing Extension Partnership, and Industry Expansion Solutions. If you'd like to learn more about the solutions NCMEP offers, 
go to www.ncmep.org. Want to listen to previous Clocking In podcasts? Go to ncmep.org slash clocking in.